This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Tools for Trails, because tough trails need tough tools. They offer a wide variety of quality tools and accessories for trail building that are tested and proven by industry leaders. Tools include the Proho 70AR Travis Tool, a multifaceted tool that can do everything you want during trail maintenance. And for trail planning, there's the Sunto PM5 360PC Clinometer to always get your grades correct. For a limited time, Tools for Trails is offering listeners 30% off any order. So visit toolsfortrails.com slash discount slash podcast and get your organization stocked up for the trail building season. You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. Today's episode, we'll be hearing from three guys who branched out of a previous organization to create a new trail association. If you could start again from the beginning, what would you do differently? In past episodes, we've discussed mission statements, and I think this episode is a good reminder to go back to thinking about what that is. First off, does your organization have a mission statement? If not, then that's your homework while we're all self-isolating still. And for those with a mission statement, what is it and does it still connect? Have you been distracted and perhaps need to return to your roots? Or does your mission statement need to be evolved? There's nothing wrong with changing and evolving what it is that you do, but a collective agreement as to where your group is headed is important. Now, without any further delay, I'm your host, Brent Hillier, and this is episode 75 of Frontlines. I'm joined by three guests today, all from the Low Life's Respectable Citizens Club out in Angeles National Forest in Los Angeles County. I'd first like to welcome Eric Hillard, treasurer and CFO. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, Brent? Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So what I'd like to do is, is kind of start with a, an introduction from each of you of what your uh, specialty is with the organization. So I've got each of your titles, but uh, kind of tell us what that actually means. So Eric, we'll, we'll kind of start with you as, as treasurer and CFO. What's kind of your, your main specialty that you bring to the organization? Well, I'm a small business owner outside of my volunteer work. So it was just kind of an easy thing for me to be, hey, I, you know, I'm already doing QuickBooks and finance stuff for running my own business. So it's not too much of a stretch for me to do the little bit of finance stuff that is needed for our little nonprofit. And next we have Matt Baffert. He's the president. Uh, Matt, what's kind of your specialty with the organization? My specialty is the trail work. With the help of my friends, I founded the organization, especially Eric and trail work. In the past, I've had a lot of experience leading volunteers and doing that type of thing in forest service lands. So it just was like a natural progression for me to take over all the trail work duties. Finally, we have Rob Peterson. He's the secretary of the Low Life's Respectable Citizens Club. Rob, what's, uh, what's kind of your specialty that you bring to the organization? So I'm nominally the secretary, and I guess sort of like Eric, I've got a, a lot of years with a business background, and so sort of 
you know, uh, helping on marketing and administration and other sort of uh, busy work to keep a small organization going. But my true passion is trail work and bikes. And so uh, all of it feeds into that. Yeah, you all bring uh, that that trail work kind of mentality to this organization. It's a it's a relatively new organization, so uh, maybe the the first question that I kind of want to pose to all three of you is is what brought you all together, and and how did this organization kind of come to be? Eric, do you want to answer this question? So Low Life kind of was formed a while back. Uh, Matt and I had had a whole bunch of different conversations. Uh, just kind of about the just the idea of, of another another mountain bike group, another trail work group, a group that wasn't just mountain bikers, and to work on places that we really enjoyed going to explore things far beyond the front range, uh, trails that saw much less traffic, trails that had been ignored for a long time. It really, for me, the organization was 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 born around those conversations of of doing something different and addressing trails that could open up vast opportunities for, for longer rides and bikepacking routes and all kinds of different stuff that we're, we're not always addressing here in the, in the area of the forest that's right up against the city. I think, you know, for, for you guys, there, there was already an organization within your community. Why did you all feel that your community needed uh, another organization out there maintaining these trails? I think that has a lot to do with just giving people the opportunity for choice. There was some feedback I got from people in the community that they were a little afraid of like, well, why do we need another mountain bike trail work group? And my answer mostly was why not? Why, you know, why, why, why do we only need one? And we really found with our time with Mount Wilson that there was a really heavy workload for all these frontside trails that butt up against the massive Los Angeles County. And some of my frustrations, and I think Matt's too at times, was we wanted to go do work in far out trails that didn't get as much traffic to restore things and, and to restore kind of longer epics and things that could connect. And by having a second group, that kind of allows people to spread out. And I really, that's actually probably what mostly got me excited about low lifes was that opportunity a little bit of that freedom to go and work on something like condor peak something that we'd never had time to do with mount wilson because of the of the workload to maintain the heavily used trails all along the front side now, for a little bit of context, tell me uh, just a, a bit more about the the Mount Wilson Bicycling Association and and um, and kind of their history, just so folks know uh, the background there. Yeah, Mount Wilson actually st- was founded in 1986. It predates IMBA. It's one of the very first mountain bike groups or advocacy groups uh, in the country. So they've been going on and off since 1986. We actually have those original founders to thank for access to all of the amazing single track here in the Angeles. They were founded mainly to, in response to people trying to get bikes kicked off some of the trails here. And luckily they, they won. They, were, they, they started doing trail work early on. We're really friendly with the Forest Service people here on staff. So they're still going strong today, doing a lot of trail work on front side trails like El Prado and Sunset that get tons of work. 
moving forwards, what kind of collaboration does Lowlifes have with the, the Mount Wilson Bicycling Association uh, as of today? I could take that one. Yeah, go ahead, Rob. So uh, all of us work with MWBA, uh, you know, probably on a weekly basis during uh, trail building season. I lead crews on their monthly trail work days. Matt and the trail boss over there um, collaborate on tool shares, those sorts of things. And then we have this really great chainsaw program in the uh, in the forest that uh, Matt and Eric sort of co-lead. And uh, we have shared resources with MWBA as well as with Corva and some of our other local uh, advocacy and trail building groups. So all, when all said and done, uh, MWBA is really moving forward with a lot of great stuff in 2020, including a really exciting new project at Mount Waterman. And, uh, you know, Low Lives has, has been there to help get them started and continue uh, working with them. And just so listeners have context, Corba, if I'm if I remember correctly, is that the concerned off-road uh, remind me again of what that acronym stands for. Concerned Off-Road Bicycling Association. Right, right. And and they're located where? There, uh, Corba is basically covers a large area of the Los Angeles community. Steve Messer is president of Corba and has been a fantastic mentor for all of us in trail work, in chainsaw. Corba covers the Santa Monica Mountains and Angeles National Forest and Whereas we're really focused in one place, Corba is spread out very broadly. And that is a, a good thing for our community because they're, they're, they're such a knowledgeable organization, but sometimes they can be spread out real thin as well. And that's some of the reason why Steve has really been so key at mentoring us and teaching us things because we've been able to do work here that Corba can't always do because they're, they're covering such a, a great area of this of the of LA County. Similar to that too, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Steve and, and uh, as well as the, the San Diego mountain bike association are, are pretty big parts of, of the new California statewide organization. That's just kind of starting to, to find uh, its, its lags right now. Yeah. CAMTB has been a recent development here that is fantastic for our community. They've been really starting to look at things, especially in state parks, which is one of the big difficulties here in California. And from our aspect, it's also been a tremendous resource as we were starting the new organization, things like insurance and stuff like that. The the network of CAMTB really helped us get to some companies that were used to trail work groups and could help us out with things like that. So Steve and Susie at San Diego and Jake up from up north and Vernon, all of those people really pushing forward CAMTB has has really been a big help in getting low lives off the ground on a lot of logistics, things like that. Yeah, it's. I think it's. There's a good model in this, in the sense that you know, you you need these big picture organizations. You need these large organizations that are going to cover you know larger or geographical spaces. But at the same time, you know, things get missed, right? And I think that's where you guys are really addressing a a, a network of trails that that are kind of falling through the gaps, perhaps, and that aren't being looked at and, and focused on by some of these bigger organizations. But at the same time, you need that support and, and, and it sounds like they're there to help, which is great. Go ahead, Matt. There's 480 miles of trail in the Angeles National Forest. So there's a lot of it that's suffered uh, a lot of fire damage. So really, you know, we're out there just un- uncovering things that have been forgotten. 
So really, there's a lot of opportunity for a group like ours to focus in on really just the Angeles National Forest and its connectivity and really a lot of amazing trail and areas that kind of, as the years go go on, they get more and more forgotten. So it's fun to kind of bring life back to the forest on a more focused level. Now, tell me more about the the Condor Peak Trail. Kind of give me a little bit of a, a story about that trail, what you guys are doing on that trail, its, its history, and, and uh, uh, where you plan on taking it in the future. Yeah, the Condor Peak Trail is a 10-mile single track in the Angeles National Forest that currently sees very little traffic in a forest that has 480 miles of trail and serves nearly 1 million people. It's a really remote trail. It offers softer grades and flow when compared to most of the local trails that are really steep and full of tons of switchbacks. So it offers definitely a a different experience that I think a lot of riders are kind of like itching for out here because we're kind of have a lot of a lot of similar, very steep terrain. So it's really nice to get out on softer stuff. But like I said, it's a real big trail. To to get to the summit of Condor Peak Trail, you'll you'll climb 5,000 feet of elevation. There's just tons of views. You could actually even see Mount Baldy, one of our local 10,000-foot peaks that's 33 miles away as the crow flies. So pretty cool spot. The lower part of the trail is access off one of the popular highways in the Angeles National Forest, Big Tahunga Canyon Road. And then the upper part of the trail uh, actually terminates at a remote dirt road that's 15 to 20 miles, depending on which way you go, to the nearest car access trailhead. So the trail, when ridden end to end, it really puts you out there. You've gone a long ways and, and it's super remote, but you're also four miles from... Uh, currently closed but soon to be remodeled and reopened campground called Lightning Point, which has acted as the staging grounds for low-life trail work campouts and dig days on the upper stretches of the Condor Peak Trail. The Forest Service plans to remodel the campground that's currently a group camp that has six large group sites, and they're going to remodel it into 10 to 13 individual sites that will accommodate two cars and 8 to 12 people per site. It's a super beautiful site that was spared by the 2009 station fire and uh, it sits at over 6,000 feet of elevation. So it gets snow. It has beautiful old Jeffrey pine trees, very cool area. So the area has huge potential for connecting to like vast roads, other trails, campgrounds. And then what's really cool about it is that our goals really align and complement the land managers. So the Low Lifes and the United States Forest Service are very much partners in both projects by expanding multi-use recreation, where they're investing big money in recreation improvements. So it's super cool to see the area get attention and, you know, being a part of like expanding opportunity and really kind of opening up this really giant area that I feel like, you know, over the last decade plus has been forgotten and it's right next to LA. I mean, it is the back country, but it's still, you know, only a 20 to 30 minute drive to get to the lower trailhead. So really cool stuff, but also an area that's been in the crosshairs of wilderness expansion for a long time. So it has a history of mountain bike advocacy, keeping the trail open for multi-use. And Eric's done a little bit of a uh, exploration of the history of that. And so maybe he wanted to add a little bit more on the wilderness. Yeah, Eric, if you wouldn't mind. 
Yeah, so the Condor Peak area has been, I guess, in threat of loss for our access a, a number of times over the last 20 years. There, the area has been designated in different wilderness proposals. There's one around 2003, another around 2008, and there's actually one that is happening now as well. And again, here, Steve from Corba has been really important for working on those projects and trying to fight for mountain bike access along the Condor Peak Trail. Now that through Steve's negotiations with the current wilderness bill, the Condor Peak Trail has actually been cherry stemmed or or kind of carved out of the new, the proposed wilderness boundaries. So if the existing proposal for wilderness now that involves the Condor Peak area passes through Congress, a trail will be saved for mountain bikers. So once we learned through Steve that that had, that had been successfully done, that really also gave us a big green light to want to work on this project because we knew it was now safe in the future if the wilderness bills went through. Eric and, and Matt have experience uh, locally with a previous organization, but but Rob, your your previous experience with an organization comes from the New York City Mountain Bike Association. So what kind of perspective does that bring to the lowlifes? Yeah. So, I mean, my background as a rider and a volunteer is actually bi-coastal. I grew up in the Bay Area and learned to ride and learned to dig a little bit there uh, south of San Francisco. And then I was in New York City for a decade uh, and helped just as a trail volunteer with NYCMTB, they built the first, uh, got approval for and built the first legal mountain bike trails, single tracks, pump tracks, dirt jumps in New York City itself. So in both Manhattan and in Queens. And as funny as, as it is, those trails are actually really great to have in your backyard, not have to drive for an hour or take the train for two hours to ride out there. So my experience there was a, a new, very small group uh, that got some funding and, and got approvals very quickly for trails. And that was really just your classic sort of, you got a tool stash and you're out there uh, building and then refining uh, small sing- mountain bike specific single tracks sort of uh, weekly, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, that's very different than what we're doing here in LA, but it's it's uh, it's interesting to see Low Lifes and previously my work with MWBA as we have starting to build a, a lot, a big volunteer base. Um, but a lot of people who are n- new to digging and just learning those skills, especially given the terrain that we have here in Los Angeles. I, I think some might be surprised that New York city, uh, <laughs> has mountain bike trails, you know? And, and so it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, we're not talking about New York state here too, right? Like we're talking about New York city, you know, I'm just looking at, at, uh, the website right now. Like there's an area high bridge park, uh, which is, uh, in Manhattan. And then you've got areas out in Brooklyn, you've got a skills park out in Brooklyn. And, you know, when we talk about urban trails, I mean, this has to be, this is, this is one of the largest, this is the largest urban place in the world. And and there's trails within it, which is really cool. I think that's, that's pretty neat. Um, but at the same time, LA has got a ton of people as well. Right. And, and you've got lots of space. So I see there's kind of some similarities between these two communities in some way you're drawing from really large volunteer bases or have the potential to draw from some really large volunteer bases. Yeah, absolutely. Not only is there a large volunteer base, but there's a a lot of people who don't understand that we even have trails here. (laughs) Mm, Interesting. 
there's people who grew up in LA and have never been to the Angeles National Forest in spite of the fact that it's like 15 minute drive. Again, that's, it's an opportunity, but it's also something that we're working against sort of the urban, the urban feel uh, of, of LA itself. And uh, yeah, it's, it's unique. Just to kind of focus on the the organization, let's let's just maybe from that front begin with with the name itself. So the Low Life's Respectable Citizens Club. Um, what's the story uh, behind that name? I think a, a big thing that I notice in it is that it it doesn't include uh, the word bike or bicycle uh, in it either. Um, what's the the background of that name? Go ahead, Matt. I wanted to have a group that wasn't. I mean, we are bike specific, but I didn't want it to be exclusionary. I spent a lot of time with Mount Wilson Bicycling Association as a trail boss, trying to reach out to other communities outside of just the cyclists. My my girlfriend, she's a trail runner. So I've, through that, I've met a lot of trail runners that have now come out to trail work. And some of them, uh, one of them is even one of my most dedicated volunteers with the low life. So I've always, I mean, I love bikes. We all like riding bikes, but I, I like hiking. I like trail running. I like doing other things. And I, I don't want to exclude people just because they don't feel welcome because they don't have a, have a bike. Hmm. But what I would like to say about the, the low lifes and the name is the name was meant to be kind of like, if you're out doing trail work, you're obviously not a low life. (laughs) The name, the, the Mount low road that, you know, everybody uses to access the trails out here, you know, and just kind of flip the name with low L O W E the name of Mount low road and called us the low lives, respectable citizens club. And it was kind of really just not really a joke, but for a while it existed just as a writing joke. I would be riding up the low road with Eric and we would be frustrated with the dramas going on at the Mount Wilson bicycling association. And, and I would joke with them, man, let's, let's start it up. Let's start up the low lives. And, you know, and here we are today. So you're seeing volunteers that weren't coming out to trail days with the Mount Wilson Bicycling Association. Um, who are these new volunteers? You know, are they mountain bikers or you've kind of uh, mentioned that you're seeing some trail runners as well. Um, are you pulling in kind of new blood uh, as far as volunteers go for this organization? It seems to me that we definitely have met new people right out of the gate that have shown up that we didn't know through Mount Wilson. I think that they were all people who were definitely aware of Mount Wilson and trail days, definitely bringing in new people. But there's also a really strong contingency of people that we've known for a long time through trail days that are coming as well. And now commonly they're going to both trail work days of both organizations. Rob, did you have something to add to that? Yeah, I just wanted to say, I mean, that we're sitting here in Los Angeles with with 10 million people in the local vicinity. So there's plenty of opportunity to get new volunteers involved. And I think that's partly what we're seeing at Low Lifes and as well as some of the other volunteer orgs in the in the area. There's just uh, a lot of people who want to get into the mountains and some percentage of them want to do trail work because they realize it's important. So I think it's a perfect time to be launching a new group, you know, and, and building from there. 
Now, often new trail associations are, are founded by people who don't have a, a past experience uh, with a trail association. I kind of think of the, the classic story is uh, there's a problem. Trails are, are going to be lost or access is going to be restricted. And so somebody creates a, a trail association. And, and often uh, when somebody either creates trail association or joins a trail association, and, and not having any previous experience with advocacy, there's there's just a, a, a kind of a, a couple of, of incorrect thoughts about what it's going to be like. You know, I think a lot of people think that, oh, well, well, I like mountain biking. And so I, I must I, I should enjoy being part of a trail association. Often what they don't think of or what they don't realize is that managing a trail association is, is like running a, a small business except it's in your free time and, and you're not getting paid for it. And so what lessons have you all learned that, that from past ex- organizations that you're applying to the lowlifes? Well, for us here, we're doing all of our work on federal land. So learning how to navigate the bureaucracy to get anything done is a key, key thing. And can I think turns away a lot of people because the federal land has a way of just sort of being there and there's not a lot of information on how to get involved and how to to become a part of it and especially with a lot of volunteer crews that aren't really welcoming or looking for outsiders one of the main things for me in us starting this new group is i felt pretty strongly about keeping things small in the beginning and growing organically It's really easy to get overwhelmed with all of the things that you need to do in the background for an organization. And Matt, Rob, and I have really kind of sat down to try to divide up some of those responsibilities so that we're not getting burned out and that kind of stuff and really trying to be respectful of our time and commitment outside of the actual dig days. And I feel like for me, that's probably one of the main things that my previous experiences helped me with and guiding into this, you know, I was, I was honestly actually a a little resistant in the beginning to becoming a part of low lives because of how much time I had spent previously. And that's been a very positive part of low lives for me has been our group's conscious decision to be respectful of people's time and how much energy they put in and us trying to be really efficient when we do put in that energy. Rob, do you have anything to add? Yeah, just building on Eric's point, I mean, his point is, you know, starting small and growing organically. And and what I like about this group in light of previous groups I've worked with is that since we're we're new, small, um, we can keep, also keep it simple and just sort of like work on what we want to work on, work on the core mission of Condor and sort of organic growth to get that project finished and not feel like we have to do such and such public event, you know, like larger groups sort of uh, end up backing themselves into a corner where we've got to show face at this event and this event. And before you know it, your calendar is filled up with stuff that is only tangentially uh, related to building trails. And right now, Low Lives is just just focused on the core mission. Uh, if we're going to get into other things, uh, we can do that when when the opportunity arises. But for right now, we're we're keeping kind of laser focused on Condor and just uh, keeping the org, org cool and, and growing small. 
it's, I think that's great. You know, what comes to mind when I think of, you know, what it would be like to, to start a new organization with folks that have experiences is, you know, land manager relationships and, and leading trail days and, and building technique, that kind of stuff. But what I really like is that, you know, right from the very get go, you guys have, have been thinking about that work, you know, and it's, it's, you know, in the, normal world we refer to as work-life balance but for us as advocates you know we have kind of real job life and then volunteer work balance right there's kind of three things that we're trying to to juggle and balance and and it can be really tough i think a lot of people leave organizations because because they get overwhelmed they get too busy and they get too swamped and we see that a lot with you know when new board members come on to organizations that have been uh, around a while it's it's one of those things where it's like not everybody lasts past the first meeting even and so it's great that you guys are are kind of thinking about that right from the beginning which i i think is just a a really smart and and kind of sustainable way to do things one thing about the name that this was probably a little unintentional, but it has formed a little bit of how I look at low lifes and our volunteers and the community that we're building is that it's a club. And that aspect of, I don't know, it makes me think a little bit about like car clubs and things like that, where you, it kind of becomes a family and it's, a, it's a real long-term thing. It's like you have lifers, you know, it's not just, and, and for me, I think, that's something that has kind of become a focus for me with low lifes is how do we how do we include our broader community how do we include our our families and our kids so that you know there's that families are more welcome into things and that we start to grow in a way that we're teaching and bringing people in and I think one of the things Matt has been really conscious of doing and he wants to build this part is our education. And when we're out on trail work days, instead of him really doing a project, he's roaming and he's talking to people and he's showing new people how to do things so that every trail day we're building highly skilled people. And we want to empower our family of volunteers so that on every workday people are learning new things and getting better and better and we're more efficient and and building a level of everyone being self-sustainable and building trail leaders so that we can grow in that way where ultimately we all become leaders and we're all of these highly skilled groups that can go out and and do stuff yeah, and, and there's something that Eric, uh, you and I have discussed previous to this that I, I really want to tap into right now, and that is the the concept of elitism, right? And and how that can often be viewed as as a, a bad thing, I think, in today's world. And but at the same time, we want kind of elite trail build volunteers that know what they're doing, that can go in and take on big projects and and get a lot done. And and for you guys, you're you're working with a trail that is much further away from where you live. And so you can't just roll in there with a, a group of 30 people and kind of make a mess of things and just whatever, we'll come back the next trail day and, and clean that up. You know, you've got to be really targeted to kind of get the projects done that you need to get done. And so how do you empower the the regulars that that are always coming out and, and volunteering, but also stay welcoming to new people? I think one of the main things is that teaching 
You know, we get yeah. people to every workday, they're being empowered with new knowledges and improving techniques, a, a new way to hold a tool or that. And as we encourage that, then that builds everybody's skills and is also embracing at the same time to new people. Mm-hmm. Matt? Yeah, I mean, right now we're we're asking volunteers to hike eight to 10 miles just to get to the work site and back and, and, and on top of that, do the work. So it's a very remote trail, but as far as empowering people and not trying to feel like elitists, but also wanting to have an elite crew, my focus has been to take the time to teach the people. So you're not saying, Hey, we're really good at this and, and you're not, you know, rather than doing that, like we're out there, I take the time to teach the people. Whereas with the previous organization I was with, it was all about kind of like, how do we get a million people to show up at the trail and get, you know, four miles of trail cleared in, in, in one day. The focus of this group is to bring people out that are, I mean, this trail is remote. So the people that are there probably are interested in opening up the backcountry. So we have seen some new people coming out that, are stoked to to see this trail that they didn't know anything about and what it leads to and how amazing the area is. And by taking these guys out and spending time with every single person to make them better at what they do, they we will become an elite trail crew. So taking the time with the volunteers for me is super fun. And to see guys like start understanding how the water is shaping the trail and how to build things and fix, fix little problems. And, and, and eventually, you know, we'll all grow together and we will become an elite trail crew and something that's definitely in the, the mission of our group is to even spend money to, to hire professional trail builders to come in and work on big projects with us and teach us, you know, that's part, the mission of this crew is definitely educating educating about the work, about the area, about the trails, building the community through riding bikes. We purchase insurance so we can host bike rides and building the community up and getting them stoked on the backcountry. Rob, what about you? Yeah, I mean, just to build on what those guys were saying, I think for me, it's all about personal relationships and Again, it's the beauty of a small group that we're just getting getting started here. It's it's not about 50 volunteers uh, where you may just feel like yet another shovel in the line doing some work, which is how I, I've felt in previous groups. You know, as a leader here at Low Lifes, you know, I'm making a point to reach out to our core volunteers, try to develop them, try to get them education opportunities, as we've said, because, you know, that's how you build future trail bosses, or even just simply volunteers that know what they're doing can potentially lead a project. And, uh, you know, there's no real, uh, there's no university of trail work, and there's certainly no university uh, degree for running a trail work organization. So starting small and doing it on that personal level and really reaching out to each individual is, I think, how we're, we're, we're getting it done here. I try to take inspiration when it comes to advocacy from from lots of different places. And and something that I was watching recently, and I think most of, of the world right now is, is, uh, well, we're stuck at home, uh, 
during COVID-19 is, is watching a lot of, of television. And so, uh, Tiger King is kind of sweeping <laughs> the world right now, as far as what people are watching. And there's a, I think it's episode two or episode three. There's a moment where Carol Baskett is talking about her volunteers in this t-shirt system that they have and, and they bring on everybody. I think everybody new gets like a green shirt or something. And then everybody, you can graduate to a red shirt and you graduate to a blue shirt. And, but then they have these people that kind of skip over a little bit and, and they work more one-on-one with individuals and they're in light blue shirts. And she goes through this whole description of like what everybody's role is. And like, you got to be here for X amount of time to get this t-shirt and that t-shirt. And her volunteers are just so committed to working their way through the process of learning each of the the tasks that are there that I was like, everything else aside about this woman, this system is pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we definitely want to do stuff to incentivize. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about ideas to incentivize the crew to, to want to learn. And like Rob and Eric were saying, like the guys and girls that are showing the interest that, that, I mean, you could tell when a volunteer is is there because they want to be there again next week and and next week and the week after that and 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 those those are the people that are really fun to spend the time with and taking the time and investing into them is like investing directly into the trail. So mm-hmm. that's that's what the low lives is about. Yeah. And it it really just increases capacity as well. Right. Like it's amazing how, you know, you can, you can have 20 volunteers, but if you can get one person that can start to lead a a group, your, your capacity just, it just increases so quickly. And, and, uh, it's always great. Yeah. It's amazing because you got 50 guys out on trail and you're covering like a three mile stretch and you're the only trail boss and you are walking back and forth across that three mile stretch you know, two, three times in a day and you get back to the car and you've, you've hiked 15 plus miles and you're not sure what you really did besides put fires out all day. It's, it's really nice to, to invest the time in the crew. And that way you're, you're not running around with your head cut off like a chicken, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, the the last thing that I kind of want to discuss is is something that I think is is first and, and foremost for a lot of people on an organization and and perhaps not everybody. I know that uh, one of my weaknesses is definitely this aspect of of uh, of an organization, and, and that's the the financial side of things. So you know, no matter what size an organization costs money to to run and. And, um, and even a small grassroots organization is still going to take some funding. So, you know, what are the, what are the costs uh, for you guys? And then at the same time, how are you bringing in revenue? Well, we've put together a pretty good budget based on some of our previous experiences of knowing what operating costs we may need, tool investment, insurance, things of that sort. And the Condor project, we're looking at probably 18 to 24 months of volunteer time to restore it. So by us budgeting things out with some pretty major tool purchases and things, we we see that it can easily run us $25,000 to complete Condor. We've definitely been toying with the ideas of a membership program like a lot of mountain bike organizations have. At this point, we've 
mostly just been soliciting individual donations, you know, letting our local community know, hey, this is what we're looking to do. We need to buy these tools and whatnot. At this point, we have had some really generous people in the community that have given enough enough to get off the ground with a lot of the initial purchases and covering our insurance. And we're definitely going to need to explore other revenues like grant funding, stuff of that sort in order to in order to complete the Condor project. For membership, is the only benefit for you guys that you can see right now the, the financial one or, or do you see some other benefits to having a, a membership to the club as well? In my view, a membership has a ton of opportunities, but also a ton of management and work uh, related to it. So I think that's what Eric and I have been talking a lot about lately, Matt as well. Uh, we're going to get membership off the ground and um, it'll be hopefully driving driving cash, as we said, but also uh, bringing in more volunteers, hopefully, uh, for each trail day and, and going forward. So it's the obvious next step for a group of our size. It's just uh, a lot of work and we want to do it uh, do it smart and use the newest technology to make sure it's not just uh, hours of management time every month, just maintaining that, uh, just, you know, the, the administration of, of, of the org. We also really think membership is key to engaging the broader community and spreading the word and keeping people informed. I mean, one of the massive values of membership is really also simply the email list. Those are all people who want to be a part. They want to hear things. You know, people aren't going to be able to come to every trail work day, but especially in today's age of so many emails and so many notifications and trying to get the word out via social media, having the ability to directly email the people who are interested in what we're doing is a tremendous value. How can people uh, stay in touch and, and have a look at what you're doing? Yeah. So if you're, if you're looking to find low lifes, you can find us uh, on Instagram at uh, low lifes RCC. That's L O W E L I F E S R C C. And our website is the same L O W E L I F E S R C C dot org. And so, yeah, we're the low lifes and, uh, uh, look us up on Instagram, sign up for emails on our website and uh, stay in touch. Well, I, I wanted to thank all of you for taking the time to, to chat with me. I really enjoyed it and uh, and good luck. And I can't wait to kind of see what uh, what the future holds for you. Thank you. Thank you. Huge thanks to my guests this episode, Eric, Matt, and Rob. Now, lots has happened since last episode. My family has been self-isolating for 30 days now. I'm happy to report we haven't killed each other yet. Uh, My unemployment has continued and will for the unforeseeable future. But the federal government here in Canada has expanded employment benefits to those of us that are self-employed like me. So this means that I receive $2,000 every four weeks. And last month's money was actually in my account two days after I applied, which is pretty amazing. Uh, In addition, the the prime minister actually made some announcements on Wednesday that you can still be eligible for the $2,000, even if you earn $1,000 during each four-week period, which is great. So with our financial stress being lifted, I'm I'm focused on keeping our family healthy, both physically and mentally. Over the last couple of years, we've been seeing doctors about our son Emerson's right foot, which doesn't want to really work perfectly. He kind of drags his toe a bit and it it causes him to, to be a little off balanced. We got in for an MRI before things went into lockdown here, and and this week we actually got the results back. And it it turns out 
that either just before he was born or while he was being born, he had a mild stroke. And and that wasn't really something that I was expecting. And it, it's taken some time for me to, to process it a little bit. I'm grateful that only uh, that it only affects his right foot. I think of how much worse it, it could have been, and he's never let it bother him. He, he continues to amaze me. With this recent personal experience and the, the current pandemic, healthcare has been on the forefront of my mind. I'm so grateful for all of the frontline workers out there, uh, healthcare or otherwise. And I cannot say how grateful I am to be a Canadian and to have the healthcare system that we have here. My thoughts are with all of my friends and listeners in the U.S. right now. At the time of recording this, there's been over 33,000 fatalities in the U.S., an increase of more than 5,000 in just the last 24 hours. Um, There's now also presumptive candidates for the upcoming presidential election in November. And unfortunately, it looks like no matter which party wins, it would seem that functional health care just won't be a reality in the next four years. I don't know who needs to hear this, but I can assure you that Canada's healthcare works. And hopefully in 2024, there will be some options. So I just want to say to everybody listening, just uh, thinking of you and hope that you and your family are, are staying healthy. Uh, now, this episode of the podcast was recorded on the traditional territory of the Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, Musqueam, and Stolo Nations. Uh, my guests join me from the traditional territory of the Keech and the Fernandino Tataviam. If you're curious to learn more about the traditional territory that you occupy and recreate on, then visit native-lands.ca. Like always, you can find the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FrontlinesMTB. You can also join the Facebook group at Advocates on the Frontlines of MTB. You can also send me an email or audio file to info at frontlinesmtb.com. You can stream the show on Mountain Bike Radio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And if you haven't done so already, leave a review on wherever you get the show. It helps others find the podcast. Don't forget to support the show via PayPal. You can find a link in the show notes, along with a link to the Frontline's MTB Book Club, where a portion of any purchases made on Amazon after following those links will be sent to the podcast. Big thanks to Ernest and Drew for making donations since last episode. And now more than ever, that goes a long way. Thank you. In the show notes, you'll also find links to the Low Life's Respectable Citizens Club. Thank you to this episode's sponsor, Tools for Trails. For a 30% discount, go to toolsfortrails.com slash discount slash podcast. Music, as always, is by Lee Rosevere. Production notes by Jennifer Pride. Artwork is created by Brandon Gallagher-Watson and BGW Creative. And a big thanks to Ben Wellneck and the team at Mountain Bike Radio for their continued support. And finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening. And remember to not speak moistly on people.